Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. We'll, our text will be from 2 Corinthians 4, but just to get the context, let me pick it up from verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, you may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we come with great excitement this morning, Lord, to, to hear your word. And we pray that you would quicken our hearts and, and uh, help us to hear your word. Lord, I know that we have, we have uh, celebrated hard the last couple of days, had a lot of activities, schedules have been all messed up, and uh, I was going to say kids are tired, probably adults are tired too, Lord, and it would be very easy, Father, for us to, to let our minds drift this morning, but we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, let us be riveted to your word as you speak to us this morning, as we come anticipating to hear words of life. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, of course, we're coming to the end of 2021, preparing for 2022 at the end of this week. And uh, of course, as whenever we think of a new year, we oftentimes think of uh, goals that we'll have for our lives. Uh, because as we sort of set those goals in front of us, it gives us more of a sense of purpose, of uh, having more precise focus upon our lives, which means when we're focusing on certain things, we're sort of letting other distractions go. And so it helps us to live more intentionally. And of course, if those goals are godly goals, it's a sense of living for Christ and not for the things of this world. But I wonder if we have ever considered, what is the focus of the gospel? What is the goal of our salvation? What is the goal of the gospel? Well, I want to talk about that this morning and, and look at that more carefully as we look forward to this, this new year. Uh, and first of all, I want to just talk about what is the goal of the gospel. Well, the word gospel, of course, means good news. But what is it about the good news that makes it so good? Is it justification by faith? You know, that great doctrine of being made right with God? Is it forgiveness of sins? that our guilt is taken away? 
Is it, is it the removal of God's wrath uh, on us, even though we rightly deserve it? Is it redemption from guilt and, and liberation from slavery to sin? Maybe it's salvation from hell, you know, or just even our entrance into heaven. Is it eternal life? Is it the deliverance from pain and sickness and conflict? And the older I get, the more I can appreciate that biblical truth that one day that will all be gone away. And while all of these things are, are precious promises that are ours through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, all who put their hope in Him, they are not the highest and the final good of the gospel. In fact, uh, as John Piper put it, he said, I would say that unless they lead to something else, these are not good news at all. As a matter of fact, it is possible to, to believe all of these things that I listed, justification, forgiveness, the promise of heaven, uh, deliverance from hell, to believe all these things and to want them, to expect them, and still to never have tasted what makes all the things good about the good news. And let me explain this way, because it's, it's so important for us to understand this, because it really does affect the way that we live our lives here upon this earth and what we believe. I mean, imagine this. If a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they think that the goal of the gospel is that we merely get to go to heaven, or that we don't have to go to hell, then once they come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is possible that in their life on this earth, it would be somewhat aimless. Though they might go to church and they would go to Bible study because that's what Christians do. And there's a sense of, you know, seeking to obey God's commands. But there's just sort of an aimlessness there because really the goal of the gospel doesn't come until you die. And so they're just sort of abiding time in one sense until the day that they die. And then they know that they will receive the reward or the goal of, of their salvation. And that is to be in heaven. But that falls so much short. What is the goal of the gospel? What makes the good news good? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, and I want to focus on verses 4 and 6. And this is probably a little bit more of a topical sermon than going through this text just piece by piece. But let me just read this. In, in their case, that is the case of those who are perishing, right? The God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, now look at these two verses. Verses 4 and verse 6. Look at the parallels. Verse 4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of of God. And then in verse 6, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There, there's a focus here upon the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that's different than maybe some other passages of Scripture that talk about the gospel. I mean, Paul sort of summarizes the gospel very well in a very succinct way in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And he talks about how uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. In other words, he came to this earth, he lived a life, he died upon the cross, uh, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. 
So there's sort of those events in Christ's life. And that is glorious truth. And without that, there is no gospel. But the gospel is not just historical events. We see in 2 Corinthians 4 what the gospel is about. The gospel or the good news of the glory of Christ. What makes all the events of Christmas and, and Good Friday and Easter and, and all the promises they secure good news is that they lead us to God, to see the glory of who our God is. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 18. We read, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. But why did he suffer for us? He tells us that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. You see, the gospel is that those who are by nature alienated from God, whether that is people who are rebellious against God and they don't want anything to do with him, and we all know people like that, you know, you, you feel like if they ever darkened the door of a church, you probably would have a heart attack because they're just so anti-God. You know, whether it's a person like that or whether it's a person who is incredibly religious and they're faithful to go to their church and to, to do certain things, but they are approaching God not on the grounds that He has said that they should approach Him, but in their own way and maybe even through their own works. It is such people like that that God that are alienated, that God has brought back into fellowship with him, much like God had fellowship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And so you think about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is really a going back to Genesis. The book of Revelation is really taking us back to where we sort of started before the fall. Only the book of Revelation is more glorious. And the reason why it's so much more glorious is because Adam and Eve... We're born perfect. And so it was only right that they would worship God. They were born in relationship with God. But what makes Revelation so much greater is we were born in rebellion and sin against God. We wanted nothing to do with God. And yet He pursued us. He pursued us and He brought us back to Himself. So when we stand before Him in glory, as Ephesians 2 talks about, that we can worship Him for all eternity for what He has, has done for us. And so if, if you think about that, then if you think about the benefits of salvation, of the gospel, of justification, being right with God, it is good news uh, because it makes us stand accepted by the one whose glory we want to see and to savor above all things. That, that forgiveness is good news because it cancels all the sin. It doesn't just take away our sin, but it takes away the sin that keeps us from seeing and enjoying and being in the presence of God and seeing His glory. The removal of wrath and salvation from hell are good news because now in our escape from eternal misery, then we find eternal pleasure that we will behold the glory of God face to face forever and ever and ever with no end. That eternal life is good news because... This eternal life, as Jesus says, is that they may know me and him who sent me. That we actually will know God. That we will behold him. We won't just be worshiping him, but we will know him more and more. And of course, freedom from pain and sickness and conflict. 
They're good news, not just because of the pain that will be taken away and that we won't feel the effects of sin because sin will be no more. But in our freedom from pain, we will no longer be distracted from the full enjoyment of who God is and His glory. So do you see that relational aspect that there is to the good news of the gospel? And we need to hear this, brothers and sisters, because there's so many people who would profess to be Christians who would say, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. And yet there's no sense of beholding the glory of God and worshiping and knowing Him. Paul, on the road to Damascus, he saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. That was, in fact, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He saw Christ. Jesus spoke to him, and he believed in him. It was that moment when the veil was stripped away, and, and Paul's Saul's blind heart saw, and he was transformed, even so much so that God changed his name. And Paul knew that his experience is really a picture of what happens to each one of us as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That we are blind and we can't see, but the same Spirit who uh, opened Paul's eyes opens the eyes of all those who believe. But at the focus of our eyes being spiritually open, the reason that the light shines in darkness, as Paul talks about in this passage, and the reason why it's shown into our heart is to, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory seen in Jesus Christ. In other words, our eyes have been opened that we might behold your God. That is the glory of the gospel, that we would behold Him and worship Him and know Him. You know, too often we, we think of the gospel in terms of what it does for us, right? Of the benefits that, that we received, uh, rather than the focus being upon a person, upon God Himself. His self-revelation to us. And it's really stunning in, in a sort of a sad way uh, to watch the shift away from God as the all-satisfying gift of the gospel. That He's the gift that He gives to us. It, it's stunning how seldom God Himself is proclaimed as the greatest gift of the gospel. But the Bible teaches that the best and final gift of God's love is the enjoyment of God Himself in all His beauty. I mean, let me just read some passages to you that you've heard before, uh, from the Psalms especially, but it, it just sort of brings us to light. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That's something I desire with all my heart, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. It's to know Him, to, to behold Him and to worship Him. The best and final gift of the gospel is that we gain Christ. I mean, what does Paul say in Philippians 3.8? I count everything as loss, everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So that's the all-encompassing gift of God's love through the gospel. To see and to savor the glory of Christ forever, brothers and sisters. But like I said, unfortunately too often in place of this, we have turned 
the love of God and the gospel of Christ into a justification to delight our things in things that are much less. The delight in our in, in ourselves and in, in making a lot of ourselves, of the gospel being about us and what we get out of that. You know, the acid test of biblical God-centeredness and, and faithfulness to the gospel is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes much of you or because at the cost of His Son, He enables you to enjoy making much of Him forever? Do you feel more loved because God makes a big deal about you or because He gave His Son so that you could enjoy making much about Him and enjoying Him forever? Does your happiness hang on seeing the cross of Christ as a witness to your worth or as a way of enjoying God's worth forever? Is God's glory in Christ the foundation of your gladness? You know, when we celebrate the gospel of Christ and the love of God, when we lift up the gift of salvation, let us do so, brothers and sisters, in a way that people will see through that to see that God himself is the focus of the gospel. That when we're talking to people about Jesus, we're not just sharing a gospel presentation. We're not just sharing some cold, hard facts. We're telling them about our Savior. We're telling them about who God is and what He has done for us and how our hearts glory in who He is. And we want them to know Him. May those who hear the gospel from our lips know that salvation is the blood-bought gift of seeing and savoring the glory of Christ. And may we believe that Christ is our all. Or to use the words of the psalmist once again in Psalm 70 verse 4. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. It's not salvation is great, but God is great. May the church of Jesus Christ say with increasing intensity as the psalmist did in Psalm 16 verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. That's what we desire, Him as our portion. Or as uh, we sometimes sing in that little chorus, Psalm 42, 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. Is that your desire this morning? Is that our desire as a church to know Jesus Christ? Paul says in Philippians 1.23, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Is that where we're at as we come to the end of 2021, looking to the new year? You see, the world needs nothing more than to see the worth of Christ in the work and the words of His God-infatuated people. We need to be so overtaken with the glory of who our God is that the world sees that. It's not just going to church. It is being the church because God Himself dwells within us and He has done such a great work. And this will only come to pass when the church awakens to the truth that the saving love of God is the gift of God Himself. As Piper puts it, that God Himself is the gospel. You know, unfortunately, the sad thing is is that uh, there, there, we have really, not only in our culture, but in the church, 
sort of this radical man-centered view of love that, that permeates even the church. I mean, from the time that our kids are little, you know, from the time they're just toddling, you know, they're just barely getting around, what are we teaching them? That feeling love means feeling made much of, that we make a lot about them. We sort of dote over them. Oh, how are you feeling, sweetheart? Oh, what do you want? And it's all about them, and it's all about their needs. And not only is that in our parenting, but it's in our educational system. And it's even, we see it in marketing and, and the way that the products are sold. It's all about you. As a matter of fact, if you don't make much of me, you're not loving me, right? Isn't that sort of the message we get? If you don't make a big deal about me, if you don't love me, if you don't meet my needs, if you don't do these things, you don't love me. And so you see people on social media all the time saying, look, you know, you're not good for me, so I'm cutting you off. And so they just sever those relationships because you don't focus on who? You don't focus on me. But when you, brothers and sisters, this is where the problem comes in. When you take that definition of love, that it's about me, and you apply this definition uh, um, this definition of love to God, it begins to weaken God's worth. Uh, it undermines His goodness, and it steals sort of our final satisfaction. If, if the enjoyment of God Himself is not the final and the best gift of love, then God is not our greatest treasure, right? Because He's not meeting my needs. His, his self-giving is not the highest mercy. The gospel is not the good news that sinners may enjoy their maker. That's not what it's about. Christ did not suffer to bring us to God, and our souls must look beyond Him somehow for some satisfaction. You know, I will tell you this. This is why so many young people are walking away from the church. Because there's sort of this meism that has permeated the gospel to where even, and it's not just our young people, we just see it predominantly in our young people, but it's in all ages, where there's sort of this sense that God is not meeting my needs, God is not doing what He ought to be doing, the church is not ministering to my needs the way it needs to, and so therefore I'm going to leave the church. The problem is that these kids who have grown up in the church have rejected the gospel a long time ago, and they never even knew it. And so now they're, they're walking away. You see, this distortion of divine love into an endorsement of self-admiration is very subtle. It, it creeps in when we least expect it. You know, we can claim to be praising God because of His love for us, but if we view His love for us as Him making a big deal about us, then truly, who are we praising? Are we not praising ourselves? We are willing to be God-centered. Listen to this. We are willing to be God-centered as long as God is man-centered. That's our struggle. We are willing to boast in the cross as long as the cross is a witness to how much God loves us and what our worth is. But who then, who then is our pride and our joy? Is it not us? So the glory of God in the face of Christ, this is real glory. This is a sense of not focusing upon ourselves, but focusing on who God is. It's a real spiritual light that shines through the gospel from Christ in His saving work. And it's not seen with the physical eyes, but as Paul says in Ephesians 1, it's with the eyes of the heart. 
Or as he says, even in this passage of, of, of the spiritual mind, it's something that we see. Oh, I pray uh, that this will become a unified, common understanding, a Kirk of the Plains, that we will be at home with this reality and it will permeate all that we do as a church. May God grant us to understand and behold and to embrace that the highest and final good of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ. May we see that, brothers and sisters. The second point I want us to see, though, is the blindness to that glory. And just so you know, that first point's the longest point, so we're good. You'll still get to celebrate Christmas stuff after church. Okay, uh, it's the blindness to that glory in verse 4. Uh, we either uh, were blind or we are currently blind, but he says, in this case, to those who are perishing, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the, glory, uh, seeing the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So to be lost, to, to be perishing, as verse 3 says, means to be unable to see the glory of Christ in the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ displayed in the gospel. It is as a sense to have a veil over your, your eyes that you don't see. So, so lostness, in one sense, is a blindness to, to glory. Lostness is blindness to that spiritual light. And we all know people like this, you know, that we have shared the gospel with, and they just don't get it. They might even believe the facts. They might even acknowledge that Jesus might have existed and stuff like that. But there's no sense of beholding his glory. And so, you know, we can very easily get frustrated in our witness. But brothers and sisters, we ought to not to get frustrated. Uh, actually, we ought to rather weep and, and tremble and pray for these people. Because we walked there at one time. We were those people, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. Now, some of us, I'd say probably most of us in this room, were so young when we came to faith in Christ, we don't remember those days before Christ. But they occurred nonetheless because we were born in our sins. But, but I want to encourage you that we need to not just be compassionate with them, but we need to examine our own lives as well. Because I think there are probably a boatload of people in the church today who call themselves Christians and yet they're really their commitment is more to facts to historical truths Jesus died he died for my sin this is a reality but there's not a sense of relationship with God not a sense of beholding his glory not a sense of being overwhelmed by who he is so much so that I say oh Lord Jesus take my life oh Lord Jesus use me however you want. And so we see the goal of the gospel is the glory of Christ, but also that blindness. But the good news is, the third point, the revelation of God's glory. The revelation. God alone can grant spiritual sight and liberation from the blinding power of the devil. In verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Okay? Remember? Uh, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not everybody sees God's glory. Some do, but not all. But the glory of Christ is, is not just a sense of raw power. Sometimes we might think of that when we talk about the glory of Christ. But the glory of Christ is really the divine beauty of His manifold perfections. It is beholding who God is in all His perfections and seeing the beauty of that. And that requires a changed heart 
the natural self, Paul tells us in Corinthians, the self-centered condition of man's heart cannot behold God's glory. Um, and it, that's not a problem, you know, not a physical inability as though we can't see that which we might want to see. It's a moral inability because we are so absorbed with ourselves and unable to see um, what would condemn our pride and, and give us joy in another. And that's why seeing the glory of Christ requires a profound spiritual change. Now, let me just say this, because you might be sitting here today and saying, oh, wow, man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm falling short here. I'm, I'm feeling this sermon this morning. I will tell you this, the guy in the black robe is feeling it very much. Okay, But I think we also need to understand that the ability to see spiritual beauty in Christ is, is not unwavering. There, there are ups and downs in our fellowship with Jesus Christ. There are times when our vision of Him is more clouded than another. And especially if there's sin in our lives. There's, there's a sense in which we don't see Him. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, this is not an all-or-nothing thing. There, there are degrees of purity and degrees of seeing. Only when we are perfected in the age to come will we see Christ totally as He is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And that's why Paul also prays for the Ephesian believers. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, May God give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, of what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards those who believe. You see, when the Bible talks about the heart, the, the eyes of your heart, it's talking about your inner person. That is your, your mind, your, your desires, your, uh, your will, all of those parts of you, the complete person. May that be open. May you see that revelation. Now, did these people know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord? Yes. But he is praying that even more so that they would see him uh, in that way. He speaks for them to, to see the hope to which God has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power. In other words, that's what he wants us to see, the spiritual reality and to value these things and even more so to value Christ. And that's how we become saved and that's how we grow in our faith. And oh, I pray that Kirk of the Plains would have sort of a united common vision not only for the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ, and not only for what lostness is, that is being blind to that glory, but also to what salvation is, having our eyes opened so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ shines into our hearts in 2022, and we see it, and we savor it, and we treasure it. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's why we're going through this devotional. Our goal is not to go through a devotional book, together just to go through a devotional book it, it is to, to to spur you on to love the lord jesus christ more intimately and for us to do that together uh, this is the work of god that he does in saving us let me just close with a quote by aaron uh Cerrone. i think that's how you pronounce his name he's with ccef christian counseling and education foundation 
And he says, when God saves us, he doesn't just save us from sin and death, but he also saves us for communion, relationship, and intimacy with himself. May God draw us closer to him in 2022. May we pursue him more to know and to love him in 2022. And may we do that together as a church as we walk together. Please bow with me if you would. Let us take just a moment and meditate and respond to the Lord in, in silent prayer to him from the words that we have heard today. Lord, we thank you so much for the word that you've given to us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that it is the good news that those who have been uh, dead in their sins, who have been alienated from God, that God has pursued them, that he has provided a way, torn down the dividing wall, not only between us and him, but between one another as well. And that we have that, that joy, that, that fellowship, that communion with you. We pray, Lord, that in 2022, Lord, that that communion with you would grow and be sweeter. It would be so evident. Lord, I pray for any that might be listening today who do not know you. That they would to, to know that there is joy in knowing God. Oh, Lord, that it is our greatest good is in humanity to know you and to worship you. So Lord, I pray that they might give their life to you, acknowledging their sin and knowing that the only way, the only good that they have is what you have done for them. And then they might put their trust and their hope in you. Oh Lord, we praise you and pray as we leave this place that we would be a people that leave rejoicing and glorying in your name. We thank you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.